Welcome to Episode 4 of the Leadership in Context podcast with Keith Tusi. Today, Keith has a conversation about the importance of having an immediate and specific follow-up plan for new converts. Welcome to Leadership in Context, a conversation on leadership in the context of the local church. Keith Tusi is the apostolic team leader of the Network of Related Pastors. He loves the church and its leaders. You will be empowered and equipped to walk in fruitful ministry as you listen to Keith put leadership truth in the context of the local church. For show notes, email podcast at nrpastors.com. And now here's Keith Tusi. Today I'm going to use a phrase called immediate and specific new convert follow-up. This was a term we used in our church growth intensive. And as part of our checklist, I had this in our syllabus. A large number, a high percentage of churches checked off that they were weak or even non-existent in this area. Now, I want you to pay attention to the specific terms. Immediate is critical. What happens the moment someone gets saved at your church or through one of your small groups or through an outreach? And specific. So it's immediate and specific. What happens right away and exactly what happens right away. If this area is not working, it is a fundamental flaw in the DNA and the culture of your church and can really affect everything else you're trying to do. The good news is, this is one of those areas that is fairly easy to correct with a little bit of focus and a little bit of training and some vision sewing. It's a big problem if you have it, but it's a manageable solution. Remember the illustration we use with the bucket being filled with water? And the lower the hole in the bucket, the less water you would be able to retain. Well, this would be a low hole. This hole wouldn't be near the bottom of the bucket. Not having an immediate and specific new convert follow-up plan. Now, this is really critical even for smaller churches. Because as a smaller church, you are going to, just by the nature of the numbers, you're going to have less opportunities So it's critical that you capitalize on every opportunity. That doesn't mean that bigger churches, larger churches, healthier churches should not be very stewardship conscious. It just means the impact in a smaller congregation is going to be greater. You know, the bad news is if you're in a non-growing church, it's hard to get enthusiasm. The good news is, in a smaller, non-growing church, it just takes a couple of converts. It just takes a couple of new folks to really change the dynamic and really have an exponential impact on everything that you're doing in a local church setting. Now, I'm not speaking necessarily of a particular system. I'm not recommending a particular book or a particular way to do things. What I am recommending is that you have a foolproof way that people do not fall through the cracks. And it's not just about having a plan, which is critical. It's about having a culture, a catch where people are really viewed as critical and important to what you're doing. It's a culture that models that your church 
can be trusted with vulnerable people. And everybody is vulnerable at that point of conversion. They are becoming naked before God. They are bearing their confession and their sin. They are telling God that they cannot depend on themselves. They cannot save themselves. So at that moment, we need to understand what is being entrusted with us. And if we just pat them on the back and say, be ye warmed and filled and go your way and have some kind of a mystical approach that, well, if they got something, they'll be back, we are making a huge mistakes. One of the great things about having a plan of when people get saved, having a specific and immediate plan, you're communicating to your church. If there's 20 people in your church, if you're training five of them to be able to handle this altar ministry to do this, you're communicating that you intend to grow. You're communicating that you expect somebody to be coming to church to get saved. You're communicating to them, hey, go out and bring your unchurched friends here, and they're going to hear the gospel, and we're going to have a plan to follow up on them. And the other thing about this is you don't have to be a seminary uh, graduate to be part of that altar team, to be part of that follow-up team. You know, the average solid Christian in a church who may not feel like they're good at getting up in front of people and teaching or they're not going to lead a mission trip maybe or an outreach, those people can be part of this team as long as they have the ability to relate to people, especially within their demographic, it's real important. So let's get a grip on the ball here, okay? Let's really understand that we don't have to throw fork balls and knuckle balls, but we do have to get a grip on the ball and make things really work. Let's just throw a fastball down the middle, and here's what that fastball looks like, an immediate and specific follow-up plan for new converts. You know, when I was a young man, I'm dating myself, there was a relief pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I'm from Pittsburgh originally, and I grew up with Roberto Clemente as my hero, but they had a relief pitcher. He became really one of the prototypes of a modern-day closer. His name was Elroy Face. And Elroy Face, by the way, has the highest winning percentage in a single season of any pitcher starter or reliever ever in the history of baseball. In 1959, he was 18 wins and one loss as a relief pitcher. He recorded 96 wins as a relief pitcher. That's a record that will probably never be touched. But Elroy Face threw a forkball. Well, so much for Elroy Face. You don't have to be him. You don't have to throw a forkball. You don't have to come up with a knuckleball. You don't have to come up with the twirly bird. All you've got to do is throw the fastball down the middle, let them know it's coming, let the people in your church know it's coming, educate them as to what immediately happens and what specifically happens. So let's get a plan so when, not if someone gets saved, we know exactly what we're doing. Now here's some ingredients that people need. So when you're thinking about your plan, obviously you've got to devise it around your resources, your personnel, and all those things. But when someone comes to the altar, when someone makes a confession of faith, 
there's something they need. Number one, they need assurance of forgiveness, okay? So a simple plan would be having some people that are well-equipped to go through some verses in the Bible and show them, look, you can have assurance that God really forgave you. Number two is that we as a church community, we as a believing local church family, we love and we accept you, and we are going to walk this thing out with you. And number three is if you serve Jesus, if you put your heart into serving him and honor him for the forgiveness he's granted you, you will have a hope for your future. Those three things, assurance of forgiveness, love and acceptance, and a hope for a future is how I would design a good, specific, and immediate plan that your church, no matter what size you are, you are totally capable of putting a plan like that together and having everybody on board. So you don't have to come up with a big plan. You just need to change your grip, okay? Here's four things you can do. Have people trained to be altar workers. What is the DNA? What do you want them to do? How do you want prayer to go on? Uh, that type of thing. Uh, number two, tangible instruction on how to lead somebody in the prayer of repentance and faith. Everybody should be doing the same thing, whether if it's a 16-year-old girl who's one of your altar workers working with a young lady coming to the altar, or if it's an 80-year-old businessman who is responding uh, and there's somebody else there, an older man, to work with him. Uh, there should be a tangible instruction. Everybody should be leading them in the same way. And that way, when you get to the next level, you're already speaking the same thing. Number three. There needs to be personal contact and follow-up. And it can be as simple as everybody's job is to get their name and their address and their phone number. And that's easy to do. An altar worker can be trained to do that. And then the altar worker, one of his or her jobs may be as simple as, there's three people I want to introduce you to, or maybe two people I want to introduce you to, so that they automatically make friends. And then they instruct that person what the clear next step is. I'm going to call you tonight, and we're going to talk about what your next step is. By the way, I believe that follow-up must be within 24 hours of, of that conversion. Must be within 24 hours of that conversion. And then you can talk about the clear steps. Well, next Sunday morning, we're going to be having uh, Discipleship 101 or our New Beginnings class or whatever you call it. Or, or maybe you don't have it every month like some churches do, or every week, excuse me. Maybe you do it once a month. So you can say, listen, we have a small group. It's going to meet Tuesday. Can I pick you up? And, and that's what that follow-up person does. They make that new convert the focus of what they're doing. So four things again. People trained, older workers, with tangible instruction, number two, Number three, personal contact, information, and follow-up. And number four, the clear next step. When they leave the church or that small group or outreach, they know what the clear next step for them is to do. And by the way, as far as, you know, all the, all the multitudes of things they need to be taught, let's just try to break that down into simple terms. Uh, number one, have people that are trained that are demographically relative to who those people are, okay? 
Uh, this is this is real important. Most people feel comfortable in a peer group. You know, women with women, men with men, and age bracketed relatively to five or six years around that person's age is really important. So what do we want to teach a new convert the moment they get saved? We want to teach them how to pray. We want to teach them to start having a communion life so they can talk to God. And so we just take their hand and we pray for them. And then we say, hey, is there anything else we can pray about? And we begin to teach them how to pray. We model that prayer. Number two is we show them the Bible and we teach them the Bible. Uh, People that are ignorant of Scripture are not usually proud that they're ignorant of Scripture. So we say, here's the Old Testament, here's the New Testament. Let's start reading in the, the book of John or the book of 1 John Something small uh, is what I'd recommend. And ask them to read it, and then when you have a phone conversation, you can discuss that. So what I'm saying is if everybody is doing the same thing, you don't have to have a major program if you are a smaller church. But you do want to have a definite, specific, and immediate plan. We want to enter, number three, we want to introduce them to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We want to teach them about the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the joy of receiving that. We want to try to get them connected to a small group. There's life in small groups, is there not? If we do those things, if we have an immediate and specific plan to do those things, we are going to have a lot of fruit in our church. Now, a lot of people believe in all those things I just said. They just don't have a plan to go with it. So the question is, if you believe in it, why not have a plan? If you said, amen, we should, people should know how to lead somebody to the Lord. We should be able to walk them through the same understanding. We should have a follow-up program. We should have friends going after people and, and nurturing them and bringing them back to church. We should be introducing them to the power of the Holy Spirit. We should be getting them connected to a small group. If all those things are important, then how critical it is that we actually have a plan, that we have a handful of trained people that are going to do that and lead the charge, and that there's some accountability. And I'd recommend that each church have some type of a follow-up coordinator where all those people who are working the elders, they turn in, Uh, a file, they turn in a report to that follow-up coordinator so then they can be tracked and we know how successful we're being. We'll be able to see where fruit is being born and how to do the best with what God has given us. Hey, let's throw some fertilizer on this thing. Let's believe God, no matter where we're at, that if we prepare the soil, that God will give us a seed. Let's believe for some new converts in our ministry. It changes the life of a church. In Jesus' name, this is Keith Tusi. It's been great to be with you and talk about leadership in context of your local church. God bless you. Today, Keith had a conversation about having an immediate and specific follow-up plan for new converts. A new convert needs assurance of forgiveness, love and acceptance, and a hope for their future. The plan is simple. Train people, give tangible instructions, 
follow up with every new convert and have clear next steps. Those next steps should include teaching them to pray, showing them the Bible, explaining the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and getting them connected to a small group. It isn't complicated. It is powerful, and it will change the life of your church. Thanks for listening this week to another episode of Leadership in Context with Keith Tusi. Join us next week as Keith continues to put leadership truths in the context of the local church. As always, subscribe, like, rate, and share our podcast. For show notes or to ask Keith a question, email podcast at innerpastors.com. If you would like more information, check out our blog at innerpastors.com slash blog. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at innerpastors. See you next week.